Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of the Selling Greenville podcast. I'm your host, Stan McCune, realtor right here in Greenville, South Carolina, as always. And we are recording this episode on Wednesday, June the 10th. I usually record my episodes a little bit later in the week, but I will be camping at the end of this week, hopefully. And so I wanted to go ahead and get this episode out to all of you to make sure that we don't skip a beat just because I'm going to be out camping and doing other things. Um, And so, uh, yeah, here we are, a little bit earlier than normal, but hopefully this will be some content that you guys like. Before we uh, dive right in, a little housekeeping. Um, As always, you can find my contact information in the show notes. Reach out to me if you have any questions or need a realtor for anything. And uh, if you like the content in this podcast in this episode in some of the other episodes please go ahead and uh, review us if you haven't already give us a rating uh, subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future episodes and you can always download the podcast as well if you need to download it for any reasons all of those things uh, help boost the podcast in uh, the different podcast platforms that everyone is using today we are going to be talking about home selling gimmicks There are a lot of home selling gimmicks out there and a lot of realtors using them in order to try to get uh, more clients. These aren't gimmicks that are, um, well, the the ones that we're going to discuss that don't work. These are gimmicks that a lot of realtors out there are, are trying to convince their seller clients do work as an effort to get more listings. So they'll, they'll try to play it off as like they're doing something that nobody else is doing in order to for someone to be like, oh, well, I'll list my house with you. The, the other realtors that I talk to aren't doing anything like that. The problem is that some gimmicks work, some gimmicks don't. We're going to discuss five that don't work and five, I wouldn't call them gimmicks, but five strategies that are similar that do work. So let's dive right in. Five gimmicks that don't work for selling a home and five strategies that do work for selling your home. Gimmick number one, and this is something I am seeing more and more frequently, and to me this is borderline unethical. I think probably some realtors are going to start getting flagged for this, but we'll see. Um, The gimmick is to list the home well below what you intend to sell it at, maybe 15 $20,000 below what you intend to sell it at, and then about 30 minutes later to hike the price back up to what you actually intend to. So for instance, if you were planning to sell a home for $300,000, you start by listing it at like $275,000, and then 30 minutes later, you increase the price to $300,000. The reason why I can imagine people are doing this is because when it pops in at 275, it instantly notifies a lot of people. And it and a lot of people are starting to get MLS emails and a lot of people might get notified, you know, with whatever app that they're using, uh, realtor.com or or Quitchit or whatever it may be. Um, people will get instantly notified of the lower price and then they go, they pull it up on their phone and 30 minutes later, the price has just gone up by, you know, $25,000. That is a gimmick that doesn't work, and I'll tell you why. 
When people see that, they get so upset. And yes, maybe you're reaching a broader audience. Maybe you're hitting some of those people that have, you know, their system set up to tell them of houses that are coming on the market below, you know, 280,000 or something like that. And so you're getting those eyes on that property. And I guess the thinking is that maybe one of those people will be like, oh, you know what? Well, maybe I can afford that home for several tens of thousands of dollars above my budget. Maybe I, maybe I should just be able to, to come up to that price point. Um, most people are not going to do that. So expanding your market to people that don't want to, uh, to, to buy your home is not a helpful strategy, but then it also ticks off all those people, all those people that are willing to go up to 300,000. Now they've just seen that you listed the home at 275 and then immediately raised it up. That upsets them. Maybe they saw it right away before the price went up. They flagged it to the realtor. They started making preparations for seeing the home. And then all of a sudden they go back to it and it's listed at 300000 It either makes the listing agent look like the listing agent doesn't know what he or she is doing. Um, or it just looks like things are being shady. That is not a winning strategy. Um, and I don't recommend doing it. What is a winning strategy? How about basing the list price on the competition. This is something that I try to do when I'm when I'm trying to to make a recommendation to one of my seller clients for what we should list the house as. Um, I look at the competition. What is currently on the market? What are we up against? And you can base your price loosely. Um, well, you want to base your price a lot off of the current inventory levels, but then specifically, um, you look at so, for instance, if you are trying to sell for $300,000, maybe there are 10 homes within a, a close area of where this home is being listed that are listed for $300,000. If you can undercut them by just a little bit, this is why you might see listings at $299,900, something like that. You might be able to undercut them a little bit, and then you'll show up higher on the list when people are searching. Um, Maybe there are some that are listed for $299.9. You could undercut them to $299.8 or $299.5. A lot of of possibilities there. I like that because that puts you higher on the list. When people are running searches, they'll see that listing before they see the one all the way at the bottom if if they've done their search all the way up to $300. And there's that psychological factor. We all know it's true that when people see... Two ninety nine. Uh, for some reason, our mind doesn't fully embrace that it's three hundred thousand. Now, some people are smarter than that. I understand, but there are some subconscious things that work in the mind there as well. And so, that is a strategy that does work. Listing low, then hiking up the price that doesn't work, in my opinion. Um, what's another gimmick that? in my opinion, doesn't work. That is something I would avoid as a home seller. Um, Generally speaking, I would say listing well below the market in order to drum up a bidding war. Now, there are caveats to this. One is um, Ian from SoCal. If you're listening to this, uh, you have mentioned that 
in SoCal and in California, this strategy can work. Um, part of that might be that the home prices are higher. I'm not, I'm not sure because I'm not a realtor over there. I haven't done a ton of research into that market. Over here, listing well below the market in order to drum up a bidding war um, generally doesn't work in this market. Usually what you end up is with uh, more stressed out buyers, more stressed out sellers, and in the end, everyone is a little bit on edge, and usually the home doesn't end up going for the full amount that it can, again, here in this market. A better option, a better strategy, is to come up with a range that the home is worth, and this is part of what I do. I look at the, at, look at the comps, Let's look at what has sold in the past, and I look at the inventory. What's currently on the market? What are other people going to be seeing when they're searching for homes in this area? And based on all of that data, and based on the, the property condition, a lot of other factors, I come up with a range. Here's what I think this home is worth. And we can sell that on the lower end of that range, or, or I should say we can list that on the lower end of the range. We can list that on the upper end of the range. Um, and there are different strategies, different reasons for doing one versus the other. It depends on what you're trying to do as a seller. Um, but generally, listing well below the market to drum up a bidding war, um, the, the times where that works the best is typically when it's an as-is sale and you, you have a property that needs some work and uh, you just need to, to get as many eyes on that as possible because you need... A, a broad market because you know that nine out of ten people that look at that property aren't going to be interested in it because it needs too much work and so you need to list it below the market to get as many eyes as possible on it that's the only time that I'm, I'm really happy with that if you're just a normal seller selling your house or you've got a home or a property that's in good condition in the upstate of South Carolina you want to sell that and list that within the range that it's worth. If you list it for $20,000, $30,000 below its worth, you are not going to make up those gains, more than likely. I would say I see it happen maybe 10% of the time that I see a home that's listed below, like well below what it's worth, um, like greater than 10% what it's worth, that that 10% or more is actually made up. More often than not, uh, it's not. Because in this market here, in the upstate, and again, this might be different than other markets, but people don't want to go too far above what a home is listed for. They're not really interested in putting in those, those crazy offers that are twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Because here, you know, an average home sale is in the, you know two sixty range. So if you go forty thousand dollars above what a home is listed for, you're going over 10% what the average home sale is listed for on, on that home. And that's probably a cheap home to begin with. So, so there's a lot of psychological things at play. Generally, that, that gimmick of trying to drum up the bidding war by artificially listing a low price, that generally does not work out for all the parties. This is a, a similar gimmick, um, but, uh, but not quite the same, but similar is stringing out a buyer in order to drum up other offers. I've seen this happen before. We've run into this um, multiple times lately. Uh, and what I mean by this is let's say that you list a house 
and you immediately get an offer from someone. You have three options basically. You can either accept that offer, you can counter that offer, or you can reject that offer. In at least South Carolina, we don't have an option for wait and see. These offers, they have expiration dates on them. So if there's an aggressive expiration date, which oftentimes there is of, of you know, 12, 18, maybe, maybe 24 hours, um, usually once it expires, that buyer is gone. Now you can try to string them along. You can try to, to you know, pacify them in some way or maybe give an unrealistic counter back to them in an effort to keep your home on the market longer because you're trying to drum up a bidding war. More often than not, that doesn't work. Be straight up. Again, this is why listing your home for what you want it to sell for is so important because if you get an offer, let's say you list your home for $300,000, you immediately get an offer for two ninety-five. dollars That would be a normal, a normal offer. Um, you can either just accept that or just counter that back to three hundred, dollars um, But you don't want to have a situation where you're alienating buyers because you're trying to string them along in an effort to, uh, to get more offers. I had a, a seller recently that um, on a uh, on a property that I had listed for him, he was asking me after we got an offer right away, can we just can we just have them hold off for about a week? And I was just like, no, no, that's not that's not how this works. I mean, I can tell them, hey, can you wait a week while we try to drum up other offers? Or you know, obviously, I would try to portray it a little bit better than that. But they would know. They would know what we're trying to do. They would not appreciate it. Um, the golden rule is is. Uh, always a good thing to apply in real estate because if you're looking at buying a house, would you want someone else to to try to string you along to try to uh, to try to drum up other offers when you give a price when you give a, a, a an offer that's very close to what they've listed it for, maybe at or even above? I had a situation earlier this year where we put an offer that was above what the home was listed for. And uh, this is a case in which, which we're about to get to here in a second, we had a, a fee-for-service listing. So the listing agent wasn't involved. We were dealing directly with the sellers. The sellers didn't know how to negotiate. And they were just like, okay, well, we'll respond in three days. Well, in three days, my buyer client no longer wanted the property. We looked at other properties, and there were, there were other ones that he was interested in by that point. And so um, it doesn't usually work. If you are, here's a strategy that does work. If you are confident that your home will get multiple offers or that what your property that you have listed will get multiple offers. Let's say that that's, that's a, the kind of thing where, you know, maybe like before we mentioned for as is sales, um, where you list them below the market in order to get as many eyes on it as possible. There's a very good chance of multiple offers. Um, then go ahead and get out in front of that. Go ahead and tell people, hey, we're not going to accept an offer until this date. That that feels like a legitimate strategy to, to people for the most part. Again, it depends on the listing. But at least getting out in front of it, people don't feel like the wool has pull, been pulled over their eyes. They don't feel like it's a bait and switch type of situation where you list the home, but then you're, you're not, you don't actually want to sell it. Um, and there are uh, actually some uh, some ethical aspects here as a realtor that um, actually in South Carolina really 
we have to respond in timely manner to any offers that are presented. So, so really, if we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the ethics and the legalities of this, we as realtors really aren't allowed to try to string uh, buyers along. We have to give some type of response to offers as they're coming in. We have a, a actual rejection form. This isn't a form that the seller needs to sign. Only the uh, listing agent needs to sign it, but it's a, an official rejection form. Your offer was presented to the seller and it was rejected without a counter offer. We have to legally send that if we don't respond with either an acceptance or a counter. So there's no form that allows us to just string someone along. Um, you could try to do that by, by countering and by dragging things out with counters back and forth. Uh, again, it usually doesn't work out. You're risking losing that buyer in the long run. That's a gimmick that I don't recommend. Um, all right, so, so those gimmicks have, have all been uh, mostly dealing with how you price and how you, um, how you handle you know offers in comparison to your list price. My fourth one here is a little bit different. And it's about the photography. And this is a gimmick that I see happening a lot, particularly when you have listing agents that aren't using professional photographers. And it's when they take really up-close photos of light fixtures, of upgraded faucets. They, they might even take, try to take some artsy photos showing you know, a, a countertop, like a bathroom vanity, or something like that. And... This the idea of behind this gimmicky way of marketing a house is that hey, look at all these updates. Let me show you this up close picture of this light fixture. Look at this nice light fixture, how it was updated. And um and and the I guess the thinking is that people are gonna just be wowed by by these updates. And I guess the thinking is that people can't uh, ascertain that there have been updates by looking at just pictures of the entire house, pictures of entire rooms. Um, I don't think that this works. I have clients all the time that send me uh, listings that are like, what's the deal with why are they taking such strange photos of the light fixtures and a weird angle of the countertops and whatnot? Um, I've, I've never heard someone that has been like, wow, that light fixture that they took that picture of, I really want to see that house now. Like I, I didn't really care for it, but after I saw the the upgraded light fixtures and the fans that they uh, that they highlighted in their in their pictures, uh, I definitely want to put an offer in, or I definitely want to look at that property now. Um, so I, I, this is a gimmick that I've never seen work. What I prefer to do, a strategy that does work, is to market the house holistically rather than uh, marketing it as individual pieces pieced together. A house is a house. It is a lot of things that come together, a lot of individual parts that come together to form, to form a house, to form a good listing. And taking pictures of a few individual pieces does not capture that. Um, and so I'll, I'll just mention a few things here that to me are you know, a part of my marketing strategy when I'm marketing a house. First off, photos need to be done by a professional. They need to be someone uh, taking the photos who that is what he or she does for a living. They take professional photos 
they it's really great if they are real estate photographers because then they really understand how to do it um it, with some properties drone photos i think can highlight things uh, so there's a lot of things with the photos that need to be done but they have to be done by a professional now, a professional will know not to take that close-up of the light fixture and i'm not going to ask them to i'm going to ask them to take the photos that they deem are appropriate. And I might, if there are a few uh, aspects of a home, like maybe a wet bar, that would be like an individual feature that's like, let's let's just highlight the wet bar. Well, that's, that's different than highlighting the faucet in the wet bar. And so um, a professional will understand how to do that, will understand the need to do that, and won't focus on these little individual parts of a home. Um, additionally, the photos need to place in an order that shows the important features first. It really drives me crazy, and I apologize if I, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the pod before, but you get these listings where the first five or six photos are just of the outside of the house. And the reason why they do that is because they're just taking the photos that the photographer sent them and just uploading them and not rearranging them. But you don't want the first five or six photos to be of the house. You, you always want to start with the outside of the house because people are expecting that. Um, the outside of the house does provide for you some quick things to identify. Is it a ranch or is it two level? Is it tri-level? What condition is the, does it look like from the outside of the house? What's the front yard? What's the curb appeal, et cetera, et cetera. I always start with that. But then you need to move on very quickly because people, as they're flipping through photos, you don't want them to have to flip through 15 photos before they get to your kitchen. So um, I always make sure that the photos are arranged in such a way that the first few photos really highlight the main aspects of the house, um, including the backyard. I will pivot to the backyard early uh, in order for people to see it because that's such a big deal to some people. And then I'll come back to the backyard at the end in order to for people to kind of see all the different angles. So there's a, a lot a lot that goes into that, but I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. The order of the photos and the fact that not every photo that the photographer sends should be uploaded. Some of those are redundant. You don't need the left side of the house and the right side of the house. And, you know, uh, you don't need every angle of every room in there. Get a couple of angles uh, so that people don't just get tired and, and you know, as they're scrolling through the photos, don't just think they're looking at the same thing over and over again. And in the MLS, we can label photos. This is particularly useful when we're talking about a vacant home where several different rooms might look more or less identical. Label the photos. You want your listing agent to identify, okay, this is the, the front bedroom, this is the back bedroom, or, or, or bedroom one, two, three, however you want to do that, so that when people are looking at it, they can quickly identify which is which. Um, and then I use the listing description to kind of paint the picture for what people are seeing in those photos. Um, there are going to be, photos don't, don't tell everything, there's going to be gaps in information that the photos don't reveal. And so I tried to use the listing description to kind of fill in the gaps. Um, what is, as I'm looking through the photos, what are some questions that the average buyer might have? Or what are some things that can really highlight what people are looking at when they look at these photos? 
That's what the listing description is for. Odds are they don't care about that $150 light fixture that the, that the uh, seller got from Lowe's. Don't focus on that. Focus on the house and the, the entirety of the house, a holistic marketing strategy. That's what I think is the best strategy. All right, last but not least, gimmick number five, and this one obviously is close to home, but gimmick number five is trying to shave the realtor commissions down. And this is happening in both directions. We're getting uh, situations where homes are being listed by, I've already mentioned once, fee-for-service agents. These are agents that they... Um, there's a few different things that they can do, but the most common version of a fee-for-service agent is that they just put it on the MLS, maybe they take the photos, they put the information on the MLS, and then they don't do anything else. The seller is directly negotiating with potential buyers, with buyer's agents. They are responsible for all the paperwork. They're responsible for everything. Um... But they pay a lot less for the listing. They might pay, you know, a thousand bucks for the listing or fifteen hundred bucks or whatever it may be. But they're having to do all the work. That's one way this is happening. And then the other way is homes are being listed um, with a lower buyer's agent commission. A typical buyer's agent commission um, on a home that is, you know, uh, listed above fifty, sixty thousand dollars is typically going to be three percent. And so you you have uh, these firms out there that are listing them for two and a half percent, two percent, whatever, that that's what the buyer's agent is getting. All right, let's start with that. Why I think that that's a gimmick that doesn't work. Yes, it, in theory, it does save the seller money if they have to pay less to a buyer's agent. The problem is that the default buyer agency agreement in South Carolina actually has a commission number on it. If you look at what we call the exclusive right to buy a buyer agency agreement here in South Carolina, um, really the most natural way of using that paper form is to actually write in the percentage that's the minimum percentage that the buyer's agent is going to receive as a result of the transaction. And so um, a wide percentage of buyer's agents in the market are writing in 3%. So what happens that is an agreement now with the broker and with uh, with this buyer. The buyer goes under contract for a house that's listed where they're offering 2% to the buyer's agent. Now the buyer has to pay the extra 1%. Um, well, that's either uh, going to be an issue or at the very least an awkward conversation between the buyer's agent and the buyer. I mean, there's just a whole lot that goes in there. That is not a pleasant conversation. But aside from that, um, when people list the home for uh, with a buyer's agent that's below the norm, they are failing to see that the marketing for a home isn't just to potential buyers. You need to market the home to actual buyer's agents and to actual brokerages. They are the ones that are going to be looking at homes most frequently and sending those listings over to their clients. They're the ones that are going to be saying to their clients, oh yeah, I really think that this is a good property to look at. You need to look at this immediately versus saying, eh, I, I don't know, this, this home doesn't look great. Um, I, I don't think we should pursue this. And, and let me tell you, right or wrong, and I try not to do this as a buyer's agent, 
Um, but there is natural human tendency when you realize that you're looking at three or four different homes, one of them pays you dramatically less than the other, the natural human tendency is to, to not be very positive about that. Again, I try not to do that, but I know a lot of agents out there that when they see that listing where they're not getting paid as much as the other, and uh, they either don't want to have that awkward conversation with their client, or um, you know maybe they have an agreement that they'll just accept whatever commission that the listing brokerage offers, um, they will sour on that property. And there's a, a whole lot of ways that a, a buyer's agent can uh, can sour on a property and can can make it to where it's like, eh, I don't know, I don't think we should mess with this one, or you know, this isn't a brokerage that I've had good experiences with. Um, and this is why it's important to consider that you're not just marketing a property to a buyer, but to a buyer's agent. All right. Now, with regard to the flat fee listing service or the fee-for-service listing service where you've got someone that's just listing the house cheaply and then the agent just basically walks away into the background and the seller uh, takes care of everything from there. Um, I actually talk, thought about doing an entire episode on this. My wife told me to do an entire episode on this and maybe I will because so many of my horror stories from work have to deal with these types of situations where I'm where I'm uh, directly communicating with the seller and the seller doesn't know what to do and I'm having to do double the work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there have been very few ex positive experiences that I've had as buyer's agent with transactions that, that are done like this, where the seller is doing all the negotiations and all the paperwork and all the communication themselves, and the listing agent isn't involved. And I have seen over and over again that because the seller doesn't seem to know what they're doing, because they don't have all their ducks in a row, because they don't understand how the real estate game works, that transactions fall apart. And, um, and I, I referenced this just a few minutes ago, where we had a seller that thought he could just string out my buyer for three days and during that time of course i'm showing showing him other properties and he, and he he really wanted that property and he gave a great offer on on their property and then when they tried to to do what a realtor well i should say what a good realtor would never do in stringing along the buyer for multiple days without a an official counter or an official response to the offer um, my buyer client just just moved on. He was he was ready to move on. Um, it usually doesn't work out well. Um, there's a reason why listing agents have been around for so long. It's because our experience in the marketplace is valuable, and that's just a shameless plug for me as a listing agent for other listing agents out there. If you don't understand the repair procedure in South Carolina, you're probably going to pay more on repairs. If you don't understand how to list a house for, for what it's worth, uh, you're probably going to end up selling, having, having it, you might have it on the market for longer than it should be. You're probably going to end up selling it for less than it's worth. Um, you're, you may end up getting hosed on the language of the contract in one way or another because we have, you know, like a, an eight page contract now here in South Carolina. Um, and realtors, we, we know all the ins and outs of all of that, 
and we understand it, the average seller does not. And so you need to, to keep that in mind. That's an important consideration. And a, a better strategy is to, on both these points, is to market the home to the buyer and the buyer's agent and to actually just use a listing agent that can actually assist in the transaction, that can get the property to the closing table, get you the most bang for your buck, get you the most value for that house. That's going to be a better strategy more often than not than trying to chisel away and save all these other costs, but then you find yourself in a situation uh, where you're kind of out of your league dealing, dealing directly with buyer's agents. Um, that's it. That's number five. That's all we have for today. If you have any questions, please feel free to uh, shoot me a text or uh, send me an email. Again, all my contact information is in the show notes. I will be camping this weekend but I will be available insofar as my phone has cell phone service. So please feel free to reach out to me at any time. And until next time, stay safe.